as part of the Jeremiah Show. It's the Arwen Lewis Show. Arwen Lewis is a singer, a songwriter, and a guitarist. She inhabits our blue planet, but her beliefs belong in the celestial realm. As the daughter of Peter Lewis, a founding member of rock and roll cult icons Moby Grape, and the granddaughter of Oscar-winning actress Loretta Young, she's been part of the creative cosmos all of her life. She's a slice of sonic heaven, poised to enter your heart, mind, and soul. She's an artist, producer, and writer, and she's your radio host. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. My show is under the Jeremiah Show platform, and my show features upcoming and established musical artists, and we talk about their careers, their um, their process of creation, and also uh, we get to feature their music and the breaks of the interview. And so today I have a very, very special guest. It's an incredible honor to have him on the show, Mr. Larry Weiss. Larry Rice is a songwriting legend. He wrote the beloved and celebrated hit Rhinestone Cowboy, along with many, many songs covered by nearly all of the greats, including Glenn Campbell, Nat King Cole, Marvin Gaye, Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, Karen Carpenter, Robert Plant, Chrissy Hind, and many more. Uh, he's received a lot of awards for Rhinestone Cowboy, the CMA Country Song of the Year, ACM Country Song of the Year, American Music Award Country Album of the Year, two CMA nominations, Academy of Country Music Single and Song of the Year, NSAI Writer of the Year, three Grammy nominations, ASCAP Pop and Country Merit Awards, ASCAP Most Performed Song Award, ASCAP Country Song of the Century Award. Um, and art, Larry says, <clears throat> has no age. It's ready when it's ready. His biggest hit, the million-selling Rhinestone Cowboy, was turned down by every record label in Nashville and elsewhere before it was discovered by Glenn Campbell. Weiss recorded his first album in 1974 and waited nearly 35 years to make a second. He's now showing a Broadway musical based on his famous song, Rhinestone Cowboy, a story that's been brewing in the back of his mind for decades. And Larry is here on the show today to share stories about his amazing and extensive career as a songwriter and also playwright and artist. So Larry, hi, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to get to talk to you on the air, and I'm so excited to share all of your amazing songs that you've um, given to us to play today, as well as just talk about your journey and your inspiration and, you know, your career um, as a songwriter and playwright and an artist. Uh, so I thought we could start by talking about the beginning of your musical journey. journey. Uh, so you were born and raised in New York City. And when you were 13, uh, I read that your father gave you a sunburst Gibson guitar and you played the chords and they just, the sound really resonated and moved you immediately. And from there, you began to explore piano on your family's, um, it was a blonde, what, can you tell me what kind of piano that was or a keyboard? Yes, it was spinet, it would be called. Okay. And so what was the beginning of your exploration of music like? And I know you had told me before you have a very unique um, way that you play piano, right? You play 
the melody in the left and the rhythm in the right, which is kind of unusual. Um, so maybe just let's talk about how you started exploring music and what really inspired you to start. Well, I kind of stumbled my way along. <laughs> I, uh, I never took any uh, music lessons. I think I had one music lesson. Yeah, I did. Uh, uh, one music lesson. There was a woman who's a head of music for New York University way back when. Her name was Modina Scoville. And uh, she worked with my brothers and my sister uh, who who were uh, quite musically educated and did some uh, shows as well. And uh, I went to see her and she just showed me the chord inversions because I was playing uh, piano with my left hand looking like an eagle's claw. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she said, this is how you voice chords. And then she told me to get lost. Oh. Well, at least she, she taught you something. Uh, yeah, she sure did. I mean, I didn't mean that in a negative way. I mean, <laughs> just say, go make your own way. Right. Well, she probably knew that you had something special because, you know, your style of piano playing is very beautiful. And, um, you know, the way you move the chords is very moving in all your songs. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and also, I was reading a little bit about um, once you or actually, I'll bring that up later. First, I thought so we could talk about before I go into what I was going to say. Did you naturally begin writing songs right away um, once you became familiar with the piano or when did you start actually writing songs? I think I wrote my first song when I was on 17. Okay. I worked on it with my middle brother. Uh, it was a song called Sorrow and Tears. Okay. <laughs> and um, uh, I think it was um, the lyrics of a famous poet. I don't remember which. A Lord Byron oh. uh, poem when we put music to it. Uh, but I didn't really get serious about writing songs until uh, I was about 21, 22, and I realized that I was not going to uh, go in the way of my father's business or my mother's brother's business. They were in the textile business, and I, I wanted to escape into music. Right. And so is that at that point, um, so was that when the demo of yours caught the ears of the late Wes Farrell and um, when he gave you yeah. the opportunity? Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So in your bio, it says he gave you the opportunity to freelance as a songwriter at 1650 Broadway. Um, yep. What was your experience like working in that building? And also, I read in your bio that some of the keys that, uh, for the upright pianos that you were playing were missing. And so did that affect your writing as well? <laughs> No, that's what made it more challenging, actually. Because sometimes when you, because it's such old upright piano, sometimes when you hit the keys, they stayed down and they didn't pop back up again. So you had to find another way of, of playing an octave higher or an octave lower or whatever it was. But it, it was it was just very raw and colorful back then. Um, and and uh, as a matter of fact, I just finished writing a song for my musical uh, called Paper Thin Walls, because that's what the writing rooms were like. Yeah. <laughs> you, could hear, you could hear people next door writing songs. You wonder if their ears were plastered onto the wall between you and ripping you off or you were ripping them off or what have you. It was just very colorful, very cheerful. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a great, great time. And that was in New York City, right? Yeah. I was in New York, yeah. I was that was in a, in a small office in 1650 Broadway, and the, the second or third song I wrote uh, got recorded by a great R&B artist named Baby Washington. Okay, and uh, just a fabulous R&B artist. I loved R&B because I grew up 
adjacent to black neighborhoods in Newark. And uh, I had the feeling for gospel music, and and I was, I was really happy that my career was starting out that way. Yeah, I, and I know you've mentioned this before, um, that, yeah, you have such a beautiful um, passion for R&B and gospel music, and a lot of incredible R&B and artists have, and, you know, soul singers have covered your tunes, and it's really, uh, it's evident uh, and when you hear your songs, too, which people are going to get to hear a taste oh. of that today. Mm. Um, but I thought we, and so I thought we could actually start talking about Rhinestone Cowboy. And for the musical, though, what I was going to say is there seems to be a lot of parallels because I read your musical between the life that you're describing when you were growing up in New York City and the the building where people were writing mm-hmm. and the the musical and the storyline. Um, so was some of that kind of based on your own personal experience? Well, I tried to avoid that. Okay. Uh, I wanted to write an original story. I didn't want to. I didn't want to write anything that would expose anybody in any way, shape, or form. Right. Although I will say, there's one character in my story that resembles my old dear friend Tony Orlando. Okay. Uh, that's the only character, and I won't say who, which, what character it was. But for the most part, I tried to write an original story, and I guess. My background, a bit of my background bled into that story, that fictitious story. Um, but uh, I just tried to be as original as I could. And I mean, I just, when I read it, I, I will have to say that I could just, I could see the picture, you know, like in my imagination when I was reading it. Such a colorful and fun and beautiful and inspiring piece of work. So I can't wait to get Thank to see you. it live. Yeah. Um, but I, so anyway, yeah, so I thought we could uh, talk a little bit about Rhinestone Cowboy. Um, so you initially recorded the song, uh, which, and we're going to play your version of that song today. And, um, so is it right that Glenn Campbell heard it on the radio and had an epiphany and was, he did. Okay. He did. Uh, I didn't even know, but, uh, uh, my, my, my record was getting played in, um, Los Angeles, Okay. Uh, and on a, on a soft rock station, I think it was KNXFM, and he told me he heard my record and pulled to the side of the road. <laughs> it blew him away. And in his mind, he knew he was going to record that song. And then I also had friends, uh, uh, Dennis Lambert and Brian Potter, a great production team. They knew of my album, uh, which was not doing that well. And um, they... Uh, they approached me and they said, do you mind if we play Rhinestone Cowboy for Glenn? And I said, oh, go ahead, because I, I saw that my single was not really doing well because uh, I didn't have support of the record company. They didn't believe in me as an artist. And, and quite frankly, I didn't believe in me as an artist. I was a songwriter first and an artist second. Mm-hmm. So um, from that point on, and then Glenn went on tour and he heard my record in Australia. He heard my record in Scandinavia. You know, it was kind of, kind of nibbling up the charts there, and he came back, and he decided he wanted to record the song. And i never forget the story that he walked into the head of Capitol Records at the same time as Lambert and Potter walked in, and they all had my album under their arm, and they said, we want Glenn's next record to be Rhinestone Cowboy. <laughs> was that just surreal for you? Where, could oh, you it, gets, it gets even more surreal. So, so, he, so Glenn starts recording the album, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he... Um, he finished. They finished four sides, of which Rhinestone Cowboy was one of them. And then Glenn gets a call to do a, a telethon. <laughs> and he sits down in a chair and he plays 
and sings Rhinestone Cowboy. And who sees him doing that? But a guy named Paul Drew, who was the biggest radio guy in, in the country. He was the head of RKO radio chain. And this guy calls up Capitol Records to find out if Glenn has recorded the song. Finds out that he has, and he asks for a reference dub to hear Glenn's record. <laughs> he gets a reference dub and loves it and puts it on the air and forces the record out. Oh, my gosh. Now, now that's sheer destiny. I will second that. I just got chills. <laughs> Me too. I got chills as I was saying it because it was so magical that it happened that way. And the song just... So it every time I hear it, both your, your 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 version, excuse me for stuttering, your version, and also Glenn Campbell, it just shimmers. I literally see glitter like when I hear the song. It's so such a just beautiful, profound um, song, and you worked really hard to really finish it. Um, I remember having a conversation with you at one point, and. You were telling me also, um, if I'm correct, uh, the film Wild Bill inspired you uh, for. Oh, the yeah. The, uh, I put two things together. As a kid, uh, I loved uh, cowboy films. Loved them. I used to go to a uh, theater on Saturdays to see the serials because they, do, they would do one chapter after another on Saturdays. Wild Bill Hickok and Hopalong Cassidy and Roy Rogers and, and the Lash LaRue and uh, characters at that particular time. And I love cowboys. So the chorus, the rhinestone cowboy chorus had nothing to do with the rest of the song. It had to do with me as a kid. Because the last scene in Buffalo Bill that Joe McRae starred in. Oh, Buffalo Bill. Okay. He The very last scene, he's, he's an old guy. He's dressed in buckskin from head to toe. And he rides slowly into an, a, a circular arena that has American flags draped over the lip of that circular arena. He's on a white horse. And the horse goes down on its knees. And, 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 and McCray tips his hat as if to say, thank you, everybody, for helping me have a wonderful life. And that's why I wrote Riding Out on a Horse in the Star Spangler Radio. Oh my gosh. It just like, it just breaks my heart, like in a good way. <laughs> um, that line in, is, and it made the song too. Yeah. And um, what was the process like? Like how did you start to write it? And did the, did the melody come to you on the piano first or did you have the lyrics first? Um, I think it was, it was kind of both together. Okay. Uh, and I was stuck on one, I wrote most of it like, in a, in a couple of weeks, but I was stuck on one part of it for months mm -hmm. uh, because it was an unusual um, structure of the song. It was a 22-bar structure, and then it hit the chorus, which is odd. Usually it's usually 16 or, or 8 and 12 or something, but it was 22 bars. But So I called it an A, B, and C section, and the C section was there's been a load of compromising on the roads of my horizon. And that, and, and that part in the second verse, I didn't know what to write. Uh, I said, where am I going to rhyme with compromising? Oh, surprising. I couldn't think of it. And I changed two words to say there'll be a load of compromising on the road to my horizon. And guess what? That was the reason Glenn recorded the song. Well, and it's it's just so true. And the word horizon, like it just it it in um it just kind of ingrained an image in your mind too. You know, like I can see the cowboy looking out into the horizon and it's also metaphorical right like i'm sure glenn campbell right. identified with it and so beautiful right. and it sounds like it just took some time to let that unravel and reveal itself to you yep, also 
So Loretta Lynn, um, she was actually the only female to record record Rhinestone Cowboy too. Is that correct? Yeah, no, I, didn't, I didn't know. She had found out that that Glenn's record was not going to be nominated because it didn't fall. When it came out, it didn't fall within a time period of when it could be nominated. And I didn't even know her. And it, and it, 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 it kind of peed her off. Mm-hmm. Because she she loved the song and she went into the studio to record Rhinestone Cowboy, oh, not cowgirl, but cowboy. That's very Loretta Lynn. <laughs> and to talk about to talk about this guy, you know, in the song, yeah. Because she did it, it made the song uh, available to be nominated. Of course, it won record or song of the year. Oh, how beautiful! But the great thing about that was having Johnny Cash. Yeah. And my award. I mean, that was Johnny Cash or Clark on stage that day, and they gave me my award. It was such an honor. Oh, like, I mean, come on. That's just, it's like a dream come true. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah Loretta Lynn, she was actually named after my grandmother, Loretta Young, uh, which is kind of I, fun. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, which is kind of a fun fact. She, uh, I, I met her uh, that night after the show, <laughs> and I, and uh, I, she was climbing up on our bus to leave, and I and I called out to her, and I said, Loretta, why did you why did you do that? I didn't know the story at that time, <laughs> and and true, Loretta, form turned to me and said, Well, it just torn fire. <laughs> She's she was so she was so witty and so ahead of her time too. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, like she she definitely got a lot of attention for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, and so has anybody else recorded Rhinestone Cowboy, you know, besides Glenn Campbell and Loretta Lynn uh, that you, you know, that are in the mainstream or was it just those two? But, and you, of course. Well, well, there's been a lot of covers instrumentally all over the world. Yeah. Um, there's, there's one, uh, there's one version that uh, you haven't had that I love uh, that, I mean, it hasn't surfaced, but, but it was sung by a great country singer named Tony Stampley. Okay. Uh, that I'm hoping is going to step out. When was that recorded? Oh, I, I'm guessing about five, six, seven years ago. But I heard that it's uh, that it's being looked at again. Okay, I'll have to look that. And, and that's out. It's out there, right? Like on um, all the listening platforms. It was part of an album they had. I'm not sure how much it is out there, but it was part of an album that he had out some years ago. It's the same recording. I produced it. Uh, it was supposed to just be an acoustic demo. It's not a full orchestration. But his interpretation of it is so unique. It has nothing to do with Glenn or me or anyone else that's recorded the song. Is it's it? Very distinctive. Okay. Very country. Very, very country. What kind of instruments is he playing on the track? Just guitars and bass and, 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 uh, and a little little touches of drums by hand. Oh. Not with drumsticks. It's just very acoustic. Oh, nice. Oh, that sounds really dreamy. I can't wait to look that up. Um, and so, and I thought we could, we're going to go out to break pretty soon, but I thought we could start talking about, you know, the musical too. So the song has inspired you to write a musical um, that's going to be a, um, a play production. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the storyline of the musical? Well, there's, a, I think there's about... Um, four to six main characters mm-hmm. and it's how their life 
unfolds and evolves. There is one uh, character in there that, that becomes, quote, the the rhinestone cowboy, mm-hmm. uh, someone who's in his late 40s. And, and actually, our friend Jonathan McEwen is going to star in that. Right. And, oh. And he was going to call in today, but he had a rehearsal. He said he was sorry, but he, he misses us. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's an incredible artist. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Can we talk about Jonathan McEwen for a second? He's just like, sure. I've never heard. when I, The first time I saw him play, I think he was playing Rhinestone Cowboy. And I was oh, like, really? huh. yeah, he was um, He was just sitting in this little club where we perform at and solving, where my parents met him, and then they introduced me to him. And yeah, he was sitting at the piano playing Rhinestone Cowboy, and it was like... How am I walking into a club and hearing this in solving right now? <laughs> like it was just, it was so incredible. And yeah, Jonathan has mentored me, um, taught me a lot about music. We co-produced an EP together, and I know that you're working with him too, and working with him on this musical, which is awesome. And I can't wait to see what becomes of that as well. Yeah, we're partners. He's putting together the pieces uh, in Santa Barbara and, and Solvang, and and. Uh, I'm doing some other parts of business. Two creative guys are stumbling along the business. Oh, well, I mean, the two of you together, I can't wait to see what kind of magic you're going to create. Um, yeah, I feel it will be great. So we're going to actually head out to break pretty soon here. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. My um, honorable and very special guest today is Mr. Larry Weiss, the writer of the amazing song, Rhinestone Cowboy, along with many others. Um, and we're playing some of Larry's songs today during the breaks. And so we're actually going to take you out to break with a song called Evil Woman that Larry wrote in 1967 was covered by a number of rock and blues acts, including Robert Plant. And then we're going to bring you back in for Getting Ready for the Heartbreak. Uh, That's one of Larry's first songs from the 60s, originally covered by um, Chuck Jackson, Diane Warwick. And and who is that other? There was one more artist that originally covered that. Is that right, Larry? The Shirelles. The Shirelles, okay. Yeah. So yeah, you, you two, um, the audience is going to hear those songs. And so please enjoy and we'll be right back. Oh woman, you ain't got no feeling, just a dirty dealing. Oh, evil woman, the Lord's going to reckon, evil woman, the Lord's going to reckon. Woman, people whisper to me all the hurt you're gonna do me. Evil woman, a woman, the way you worked your way in, getting under my skin. Evil woman, a woman. The way you laughed at my pain The way you're stripping my brain A woman There were other choices Didn't hear the voices Oh, evil woman The Lord's gonna wreck her Evil woman The Lord's gonna wreck her Evil woman to see where you're falling Evil woman The devil is calling you Hi, this is Peter Lewis of Moby Grape. You're listening to me on the Arwen Lewis Show. 
Good morning, everybody. This is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. And today I have a very, very special guest, Mr. Larry Weiss. He is a songwriter, an artist, and a playwright, and he's known best for his song, Rhinestone Cowboy, that Glenn Campbell um, made a huge success. And uh, Larry also has recorded a version of Rhinestone Cowboy uh, off of his first uh, record that we're going to hear today on the show, too. And uh, for now, though... We're actually going to move into talking about Larry's play that it's a musical based on Rhinestone Cowboy. And uh, so I thought, yeah, we could talk about, you told us a little bit about the storyline, um, but you've also, you've composed all of the music for it. Is that correct? Yes. And so were some of the songs written specifically for the musical or did you, um, or, or did you take some songs uh, that you'd recorded in the past and then decide that they fit well in the play? How, how did that work? Okay. Both. Sometimes, sometimes um, I wasn't sure where the story was going and the song led me to continue the story. Okay. And did you, uh, or what was I going to say? Did you write all of those songs on the piano or were they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, can we look out for the live production sometime soon or are you still in the works of putting that all together? Still in the works of putting it together. Nice. Well, keep an eye out, everybody, because it's going to be amazing. Um, and so I thought we could talk about your, you have this incredible discography. And if you don't mind... I was going to name off um, a handful of songs that have been covered by these amazing artists. Uh, and if you want to read Larry's entire discography, you can go to LarryWeiss.com. You can also read a little bit more about him and his career there. And uh, I'm just going to read off the artists and the song titles. So Larry Weiss has written all of these songs and all of these amazing artists have covered them. Uh, Nat King Cole sang the song Mr. Wishing Well. Marvin Gaye uh, sang Three Time Loser. Jeff Beck, Rod Stewart, Tom Jones, Robert Plant, Chrissy Hind, all sang Hi Ho Silver Lining. Robert Plant performed Evil Woman. Benny E. King performed Can't Take It Like a Man. Loretta Lynn, she reco recorded Rhinestone Cowboy, and she was the only woman to record that song. Neil Diamond performed Ten Lonely, Go Lo Ten Lonely Guys. Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Campbell and Tanya Tucker recorded Hollywood Smiles. Karen Carpenter, Your Baby Doesn't Love You Anymore. And Dolly Parton and Billy Dean, You Got Me Over a Heartache Tonight. And that's just scratching the surface. Larry, did you expect this kind of connection with these like in incredible icons? Um, or did that just naturally evolve? Do you write um, with the artists in mind? Or do you just write the song because it's coming through you and they happen to identify it after it's finished? Both. Okay. Um, well, can you tell me about a song that you wrote for a specific person who uh, ended up recording it? Um, I can't think of one offhand right now. Or, oh, because, oh, okay. Because these these things just happen uh, by themselves, so to speak. You're in the right place at the right time, and, and the mood is right, and it comes together. Uh, well, and what, so what do you prefer to do, though? Do you prefer to write songs and have other people perform them, or do you like to write for yourself? 
uh, the first. Okay, you like to write for other people. Yeah, uh, I do. And sometimes I like to get in the studio and sing them myself, but but uh, uh, my voice is kind of uh, distinctive in a certain way. I'm not sure it's, uh, it's the best presentation of the song. Um, it was a rhinestone cowboy and a couple of other things, but uh, I, I like to get uh, I like to find great singers to do my demos. Right, because it helps. It sounds like you have a vision for the way you want the song to sound, and then they yes, end up bringing exactly. it to life. Um, what is your writing process like? Like, do you? I don't know if we talked about this already, but do you write lyrics first and then come up with music, or is it just depending? Um, on the day, do you come up the, with the music sometimes first? Um, I think I think uh, in, in the more recent years, I was writing lyrics first, and the music has to speak to the lyrics, has right. to describe the lyrics. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Uh, that's the way I like to, I like to do it, where the music is scoring what the lyrics are saying. Well, I totally agree with you because the the lyrics have a mood, right? And the music right. creates the mood and the energy and the way it makes you feel. Right. And so maybe I thought we could talk about uh, what got Dolly Parton and Billy Dean uh, to cover your song. How did that end up happening? Well, Do Dolly was doing a movie, uh, unfortunate uh, disaster movie called Rhinestone that, was, uh, that I helped put together and that Sylvester Stallone and, and she starred in, and it was it was uh, a bit of a mess that that particular uh, that particular project. I mean, the only, the only great thing about it was Dolly Parton, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we started to write a song, and she finished it. Oh, so you co-wrote it, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that must have been a dream come true. Yeah, it was it was really great. I mean, I, I didn't even know that she finished it until some years later, uh, when she put out a a uh, an album of songs that she had co-written with with big writers and included "Heartache Tonight" as, as one of the songs in that project. Okay. Oh well, I mean, how amazing. Okay. And yeah. Do you and so and then from moving from Dolly Parton into like a different type of soul because she's very soulful too. But Marvin Gaye um, performing your song Three Time Loser." How did you connect with Marvin Gaye, and how did he identify with the song? Well, I didn't connect with it. The publisher did. Okay. And he he just heard the song and said, "This is for me. I'm performing." Yeah. <laughs> And then, um, do you have a? Re did you expect for High Ho Silver Lining to identify with all of these artists like Jeff Beck, Rod Stewart, Tom Jones, Robert Plant? Well, well this is it's it's a funny story. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, the icons that that helped bring in the English Invasion in the sixties was a great visionary producer named Mickey Most. Okay. He had he had a label called Rack Records, and on that label was was uh, Jeff Beck and Lulu and Donovan and the animals as well. Okay. And and uh, I found this lyricist, very trippy lyricist named Scott English, who wrote very usual and poetic lyrics. And we started to work together. And the way I, I worked with my partners is that I let them do the door openings. I didn't like to do door openings, get my songs recorded. I wanted someone else to work mm -hmm. and do that. And, uh, so he heard that Mickey Most was in town, and we had written High Hopes of a Lining. 
But the but what happened? Uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. That's uh, right. In the studio, because I met I met Jeff Beck, who by the way hated Kyle Civilani. <laughs> what happened in the studio? Here's Jeff Beck is in the studio. Mickey has just finished cutting this track. Jeff Beck had put on had put on a rough guitar a guitar performance and Jeff is sitting and Rod Stewart's on one side and Jimmy Page's on the other side and and Mickey comes over the, the intercom and goes, okay, Jeff, it's time for you to sing. And Jeff comes back, are you freaking crazy? I can't sing. Look who's sitting next to me. And Mickey <laughs> said sort of, that's why I want you to sing it because after you sing it, it becomes a hit anybody can do. It. <laughs> <laughs> I swear. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and as a result, that song started out being sung at parties, in bars, uh, who knows what else, and then became one of the top soccer, today, it's one of the top soccer themes in the UK. Oh my gosh. I mean, how, how fun, how amazing. Yeah. And well, well, the lyric is hysterical. I mean, at the top of the second verse when Scott wrote, I mean, cracking up, I think Scott was uh, under the influence of certain things at that time. And he writes, flies are in your pea suit, baby, and they're waving at me. That's hilarious. Um, so, you know, he was kind of trippy. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, and I mean, when people drink and dance, you know, they get creative and have fun. And it's not you created an anthem for people to celebrate life to and for people to be inspired to play soccer and Coliseum. Like that must feel amazing. And I'm sure that yeah, kind of energy and it, the energy must come back to you, too. Right. Yeah. You know, you feel it. Okay. We also wrote Ben Me Shake Me together in the late 60s. And and even the first line of that song was so poetic. I mean, you were all the woman I need, and baby, you know it. You could make this beggar a king, a clown, or a poet. That's very I mean, Bob Dylan. That's you know? pure poetry to me. Yeah. And the way you just spoke it, too, it sounded, you reminded me of Bob Dylan. That was really beautiful. Oh. Well, that's quite a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, we're going to get ready to go out to break again here. Um, if you're just tuning in, my incredible legendary guest today is Mr. Larry Rice. Larry is a profound and extremely accomplished songwriter. And he wrote the song Rhinestone Cowboy. That was his first big song um, that he originally recorded. Uh, but Glenn Campbell heard it on the radio. He pulled over to the side of the road and said, my career is going to change and I'm going to be a big star with this song. <laughs> and um, that's what happened. And we're playing some of, or all of uh, the songs that we're playing on the show are written by Larry Weiss. And we're going to take you out to break with his song, I Am Somebody. And that's on Larry's second album, Cuts and Scratches, and is also part of um, his musical, Rhinestone Cowboy. And then we're going to bring you back in from break with My Road Leads to You from Larry's release, Cuts and Scratches. And the Andrea Church Choir backed Larry up. Andre Crouch. Andre Crouch, excuse me. Yeah, I can't read my writing. This always happens. <laughs> um, the Andre Crouch Choir backed Larry up on this one, um, which will that'll tie in. Your friend of mine, yeah. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to that. If you want to find out more about Larry, you can visit LarryWeiss.com. And enjoy the break. Enjoy the songs. And we'll see you in a minute. I know just how you feel. No one understands you. All you see are the halves you're at night And life becomes a door I want to put your hand through 
don't have yourself What do you got? You need someone to cheer you But you won't have me near you Can't you see what you were If I stood in your shoes I would kick off the hurt Say I got nothing to do Hey, this is John DiNicola, and you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. And the lights were in my eyes And there was nothing going my way It stepped into my heart To my surprise Good morning, everybody. This is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. Today, my very special guest is Mr. Larry Weiss. He's an incredibly accomplished songwriter and also a playwright and an artist. He's a painter. Uh, he's got an, a ridiculously incredible discography with, um, you know, every almost every icon in the business who's sang one of his songs. And he's best known for his song, Rhinestone Cowboy. Uh, originally, uh, he recorded, and then Glenn Campbell uh, released it and made it just this incredible sensation. I'm sure everybody, everyone listening has probably heard that song. Um, but Larry, I thought we could talk about your releases. Um, so in 1974, uh, the let's see, and you recorded your first album called Black and Blue Sweet for 20th Century Records, and both Evil Woman and Rhinestone Cowboy are on that record, um, which were released um, originally by you, and then they were covered, of course. Uh, where did you record that record, and what inspired you to record your first record? Well, someone talked me into doing an album. I mean, I, I sang well, but, but I, I didn't think I was an artist. Okay. I thought there was a distinction between singing and being an artist. And I didn't understand what that what that meant for some reason. It didn't click in my head, but but it, it was a time when I had to do it because the music business was changing. Where uh, singer songwriters were uh, exposing their songs that way, and I was and everybody was writing a song for themselves, whether the the songs were good or not. But that's what it was about. Carol King was doing it. Barry Mann was trying to do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had an opportunity to get a record deal with 20th Century Records and um, with my co-producer who, t- who talked me into doing it, uh, we recruited four genius musicians. I mean genius musicians that all I did when I went into the studio was sit down and play my song on the piano and they instantly, in two takes, had an arrangement for it. (laughs) That's incredible. I mean, it was so so beautiful to work with them and to see how that I was a better songwriter than I thought I was at the time. Well, when you hear somebody create something, like, because you you create the bones and the foundation, which Mm -hmm. is the song, right? And But then when you hear musicians like that, play something that's just like unbelievably moving and beautiful like it brings it brings it to life in a different way and 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I always prefer to play with a band or perform with a band or have somebody else, you know, like at least help me with the music. Um, and so who were those musicians? And was it, in, obviously that was all analog, um, but were there electric guitars on there, just acoustic? Oh, yeah. So yeah. how'd you record I mean, it? These guys played with the biggest uh, stars of the world. I mean, uh, headlining the the four musicians was... Uh, uh, a dear friend passed away named Hugh McCracken, who played with Paul McCartney and and and, and the like. And Rick Morata was great, is great drummer, and Lee Sklar, my God, has played with everybody. And then Tom Hensley uh, played keyboards, a very inventive guy. And as a matter of fact, when Neil Diamond heard my album and he heard Tom playing, he got a job to work for Neil Diamond for Neil Diamond's career. Oh my gosh, how amazing is that? And so you yeah. were a segue for that too. And you, it sounds like you're, you've been a segue as you know your part in this you know creation your your creative process has been segues for people to like their careers blossom. You know after they touch are touched by your music sometimes. And well, I'm glad it did. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and what a blessing too to the world yeah. of music business. So thank you. <laughs> um, and so then it it became it was quite a while before you released another record. Um, in 2014, you released Cuts and Scratches. Um, and, uh, actually, actually it's 2009 oh, when that came out. Oh, I'm sorry, I must have read the date wrong. Um, no, it's okay. So uh, it was 2009. Okay, it didn't do that much because I really didn't have the right um, the right. <laughs> organization together to promote it properly so it wound up being a very expensive bunch of demos <laughs> you call it that way but i but i, I think it's going to get another life very soon because some of the songs in that album as well as some of the songs in my first album are part of my musical uh my musical score Right, right. And um and it's so it's beautiful how they fit into it perfectly um along with the other songs that you've composed for it, right? Mm -hmm. Um what inspired you to make that record though for Cuts and Scratches? Did you just decide it was time to give another yeah. go at being an artist or yeah, how did that Yeah, give it a try, yeah. Cool. That was so it was, yeah. How... On my own dime. <laughs> well, I mean then you have complete creative control, which is really nice. Right. But I needed a record company behind me and I couldn't get one. So that was the problem that I had. Everybody turned it down. Well, I mean, we're probably going to see another <laughs> full circle and then as sooner or later, somebody's going to hear hope it. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I was going to, oh, what I wanted to ask is how did you record that record? Did you do it all on your own? Or did you, did you produce all of it on your own? I did. I, it was, it was, a, it was a very exhausting, uh, uh, experience because I, I, there I am in the, in the singing booth singing, listening to the arrangement, then jumping out of the singing booth and going back into the studio and listening to a playback to see if I like to take. These go completely self-produced. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a yeah. quite a whirlwind. Yeah, but you do you feel like you created something um, with a certain spirit because of that too? Or yeah, okay. Well, it was just it was just. I, I can say I just relied a lot of, on the first album. I relied a lot on the musicians coming up with that arrangement. I was just blown away with with, with what they came up with. Right, um, and it's interesting to see, like you know, like just the straight product um, that's coming from you too. And maybe, and did you make all the songs specifically for that record initially, or did were they songs that you had collected over the years? 
Um, most of them uh, were for that record. And there were a couple that I had over the years that needed upgrading. Okay. And then also, um, and now, you know, you can take these songs and put them into your a musical too. So maybe that was what they were really Some of them, to. yeah. Amazing. Um, well, uh, this is another question I wanted to ask you. If you could write a song for someone who you haven't written for yet, who would it be? Mm. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I know. I ask, um, or usually I ask my guests, like, what they would or who they could perform with, not write for, and it's usually a toss-up, and I'm kind of finding that maybe this question isn't going to be the right one for the show for much longer. <laughs> I, I, really, I really don't know. There's so many great singers out there. I, I really don't know, because there are great artistic singers out there, like Michael McDonald is an mm-hmm. example. <laughs> He's also a, a songwriter for himself, but I love the way he sings. He's he's really, really great. Oh, me too. The Taking It to the Streets. Oh, yeah. What a song. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to wrap up this segment and go out to break. Um, if you're just tuning in, my special guest is Larry Weiss. He wrote Rhinestone Cowboy, Evil Woman, Hi-Ho Silver Long Lining, and like a thousand other amazing songs um, and that have been covered by pretty much every icon in the music industry. And we're going to take you out to break with Larry's song, Rhinestone Cowboy. And this is Larry's recording of it. It's the first recording that Glenn Campbell heard on the radio in Los Angeles and pulled over on the side of the road and called his record company. And he said, this is my song. (laughs) And then we're going to bring you back in from break with Larry's song, Above and Beyond. Um, And don't go anywhere because at the end of the show, we're going to play in its entirety uh where i can't read my writing again the world oh yeah the world was filled with love and that's, that's gonna, a closing cut yeah black and blue sweet and that's a closing cut to black and blue sweet beautiful yeah. thank you larry um so anyway please enjoy rhinestone cowboy and above and beyond and we will be right back mind the rain and a smile can hide all the pain but you're down when you're riding the train that's taking the long way but I dream of the things I'll do with a subway token and a dollar tucked inside my shoe there'll be a load Hi, this is Larry Weiss, and you're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show.
of courage lives on forever. A deed that bears a seed that brings a harvest from fields of honor. The fruits of bravery above and beyond above and beyond we toast those who give their most above and beyond the price good morning everybody you're listening to arwen lewis on the arwen lewis radio show Today, my very special guest is Mr. Larry Weiss. He's best known for his song, Rhinestone Cowboy. Uh, but Larry, you also have had quite a few hits um, that have been performed by incredible icons. Are there any that you want to mention before we finish up today? Well, Ben Me, Shape Me was a number, uh, number one worldwide hit it was recorded by the American Breed. And uh, Help Me Girl, I love the Help Me Girl uh, single that Tom Wilson produced that, that Eric Burden sang and of course High Hill Silver Lining was just that those three songs were outstanding in the late 60s but Evil Woman uh, was picked up by uh, an acid rock group named Spooky Tooth Okay. and it was the only outside cut in their whole album it was the last cut in the album and they did a nine and a half minute version of it <laughs> how did that make you feel? it, was, it blew me away it was, it was just incredible I mean, well, Larry, your career is one to be celebrated. I can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your stories. And I'm so happy that I got to talk to you and have a conversation on my radio show. Um, And everybody, really quickly, we don't have time to talk about it. But just so you know, Larry is also an abstract painter, too. So you can look him up and find more out about that and his um, information about his discography and music life and career is up on his website at larryweiss.com Larry thank you so much for coming on today my pleasure alright everybody have a great day we're going to take you out um, with a featured in its entirety song written by Larry Weiss called The World Was Filled With Love
Arwen Lewis Show was brought to you by Evolve Entertainment. Host, Arwen Lewis. Executive producer, Jeremiah D. Higgins. Producer and sound engineer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. You can find Arwen Lewis and all of her music at arwenlewismusic.com. 
and follow her on Instagram at Arwen Lewis. Lewis.